Please stand for the reading of God's word from Revelation 1, verses 1 to 20. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on the count of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire, his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Nathan Dix. I am the RUF campus minister at Boston University. We may have some College students have just moved in to campuses. Just want to give a quick plug for excellent REF ministries, both at MIT and Harvard. Uh, I believe they're kicking off. Uh, some of you may be interested in getting plugged in to a campus ministry at your campus, and really any campus in Boston. Uh, if you uh, are here, a student looking to find Christian community, uh, there are names in the back of your bulletin. Ask you to reach out to them. I think you've seen Serena works for RUF. I work for RUF at BU. Um, and come up and talk to us. We'd love to meet you if you're a new college student. So, well, this is a, um, it's a 
joy to get to fill in just for one week. And uh, we're starting the book of Revelation in RUF uh, at BU. And so you guys are just getting the first chapter. I apologize. Uh, Travis is on vacation. He'll be back uh, next week. And this is really an exciting book. Revelation 1 is the prologue to the final book of the Bible, a book that has puzzled, confused, befuddled many, uh, but a book that provides surprisingly timely and poignant encouragements for the church back when it was written, always and today especially. Um, I once served as a, a camp counselor for, uh, I was, it was in Black Mountain, North Carolina, beautiful area. Uh, it was a Christian camp, seven to nine-year-old boys, 13 of them were under my charge. I was a cabin counselor, and uh, it was a Christian camp, so we would have these devotionals every night, and we would just, you know, kind of pick whichever book of the Bible and, and do something on it very much uh, untrained, but um, we didn't invent anything, but uh, we did one time read from Revelation, and I was so fascinated to see afterwards, it was right before bedtime, you know, we have a lights out time, but they can read with their flashlights, and almost every single one of these seven to nine-year-old boys stayed up reading the book of Revelation. Uh, some of them finished it. Uh, Revelation really is a book that's meant to be read like that. Uh, it's meant to be read out loud. Uh, it's meant to, in one sense, be read like you would read a sci-fi or fantasy novel. I want to, uh, so, so teenagers, listen up. Kids who are of reading age, listen up. Read Revelation. It is fascinating. It is exciting. Read it in one sitting. Um, I was recently recommended to watch a, uh, one installment of the Marvel Universe. Uh, uh, it was Loki, by the way, in case you follow along. And I had skipped, you know, I think I, the last one I saw was probably uh, one of the Avengers or, you know, I'd, I really loved Iron Man, but there's a lot that's happened uh, since then. And uh, Loki, especially, I was just like, wow, there's a lot that I feel like I should know about. I should know who this guy is. I do recognize that actor, um, but there's a lot of confusing, confusing storylines and plots. You kind of lost me at multiverse, um, to be honest. But kids, read Revelation. If you like the Marvel Universe, read Revelation, and then guess what? There are prequels. There are origin stories. The entire Bible is one story, interweaving plots and characters that show up and that are picked up later on. Um, I do want to encourage parents, maybe read Revelation with your kids. They may get it better than you do. They may point out things that you didn't recognize, that you didn't see. I do want to give a spoiler alert. I think one of the best summaries of the book is Jesus wins. Jesus wins. Revelation's title is describing the revealing, the opening up of the eyes of the church to God and his acts. The word apocalyptic, which we use often to think of things that are terrible that are happening. It's apocalyptic. Um, I think I even heard apocalyptic romance. Um, but it actually only means, it's another way to say revealing, re revelation. It's just the Greek word for it. 
to unveil something that has been unseen or unknown. I think this is important to point out, that just the title of the book itself is really important, that um, we live in a time where we want to see everything with our eyes. We live in a time when we're inundated with images and sights and sounds. I recently learned about Twitch. You can watch people live streaming their lives uh, at any time on the internet. Um, How many times has a uh, casual conversation turned to your phone because you want to see the picture of your grandkids? You want to show that funny TikTok video that you're referencing. Hey, why don't I just show it to you? You can see it too. We live in a very visual culture. And it leads us into these long times of this disassociative inactivity where we're just searching in this infinite scroll. We're searching for something. The next thing, maybe the next thing that we see will really blow our minds, will really change our lives. We live in a culture that demands to see to believe, which makes the Christian faith all the more strange and odd. We believe in a God that we cannot see. Yet, it is the God we cannot see who enables us to see ourselves and the world most clearly. And the most radical paradox of all, we see by faith none other than God himself. In one sense, we do not see God, but it is God himself who enables us to see him. So at the heart of this book, and right at the beginning of the book, in the prologue, we see Jesus, the risen one, the Lord Almighty. It's the heart of the Christian faith. It's the beginning. It's the central purpose of the book of Revelation to reveal Jesus. The Apostle John is given this vision of Jesus. The proverb says, without vision, the people perish. The Bible teaches us that without the eyes of faith that enable us to see and behold Jesus, the risen King, we are without hope in this life and the next. The Word of God. God breathed words of Scripture are the source of this vision. Ironically, we go to words in order to see. But these are no mere words. These are the words of God. The Holy Spirit illuminates them to illuminate and reveal himself. Let us pray that that would happen right now. Father, we do ask that you would be present. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would would soften hard hearts, that you would remove the scales from our eyes. Lord, we desperately need Jesus. We need to see him more clearly. We pray that that would happen right now. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to look at three things this morning. Uh, First, not seeing, no hope. Secondly, seeing the unseen hope. And lastly, come and see. So first, not seeing, 
no hope. So as I said, Revelation begins telling us the purpose of this prophetic letter. It's to make known what would soon take place. It's to reveal it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And there are two different ways you can take that. It's the revelation that has been given from God the Father to Jesus Christ to make known to the angels and to John the Apostle so that we can now read it here. But it's also the revealing of Jesus. Jesus is both the, the source and the content of the revelation. He reveals himself. He is the messenger. He's also the main character. And he's the one who is coming soon. He's a prophet prophesying about himself coming soon. But as we see in the Gospel of John, Jesus, when he came to earth, he came into darkness. And this darkness prevented people from seeing him for who he was. In each of the Gospels, we read that Jesus spoke in parables, and he spoke in these parables, these stories, strangely, in order so that some may see and others may not see. In verse 7, we read, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Already there is a foretelling of something that is yet to happen, where Jesus will come and every eye will see him. But that hasn't happened yet. Now, we still live in darkness, where many do not see Jesus. But today, we are given the opportunity to see him by faith, through the words of prophecy in the Bible, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can have sight. We can see Jesus, and we can take heart and have hope in him. Not seeing Jesus, there is little to hope in. I mentioned that I work on a college campus. The... Uh, College campus can be a very dark place. Uh, it can be a very, very fun, exciting place, especially this time of year. Uh, but can it be a very dark place? Um, depression is rampant. It's well-documented. It's well-written about. And uh, pretty much every newspaper has run an article on the rates of depression, the feeling of hopelessness, uh, depression and anxiety among young people. Among college students alone, 18 to 22-year-olds, it's 44% have reported feelings of depression and anxiety. Living without hope, feeling hopeless, is excruciating. That's a pain, sadly, many in our own midst can likely speak to. Statistically speaking, many in our own midst have felt this, maybe are feeling this. And the cruel, I think, irony on the college campus is that there is, at the same time, there is this mental health crisis and epidemic. There is an incredible amount of pressure on the students to save themselves. Uh, my, my intern, uh, Jimmy, he's not here this morning, but he, he and I noticed this banner on campus that it's, um, we're taking it out of context. It does have a context and a history of its, of its own, but 
The, the banner says, we are the ones we've been waiting for. Right? And how, how many uh, c- commencement ceremony or convocation uh, have you heard the, the, uh, the president of the university or whomever is giving the speech, you are the hope. You are the next generation. To a group of students who are feeling an overwhelming sense of anxiety, of loneliness, and of despair. This is the cruel irony of the campus I work at, maybe something that you resonate with, experience, experience yourself. We need help. We need rescue. We need a revelation. I feel like I should say there, there are many uh, resources and ways for you to get help. Uh, I, I talk about therapy and encourage therapy and uh, medical professional help all the time. If that's where you're at, please hear a pastor say, please get help. But sadly, there's this distrust of institutions. There's maybe sometimes a paralysis, an inability to help yourself. So I can say that, get help all you want, but how? When you feel this despair that paralyzes you, you need help from outside of yourself. When you can't call, when you can't email to check yourself in to get help, where do we go? Where do we go? Do we have a hope that is real, that we can see, that is tangible help to us? Do we have a hope that even is a hope beyond death? We need rescue. We need outside of ourselves someone to reveal something new. Our second point, seeing the unseen hope. The Apostle John, the author of the Gospel of John, the same one, uh, he's called the one whom Jesus loved, one of the best friends of Jesus. By this time that he was given this this vision, he was an old man in the 90s, (laughs) 90s AD. He was exiled to the island of Patmos. This was not a Greek island vacation. Uh, He was exiled there. He was under persecution. There was a time of tribulation in the church. He was seen as a leader of this church. The Roman emperor Domitian was cracking down, and here he is, basically in prison on the island of Patmos. It says it's the Lord's day, and the Spirit comes to him. He's he's worshiping, and he has this vision. He heard a voice, then he saw a vision. The voice commanded him to write down what he sees in a book and send it to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Theatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. These seven churches are all located in uh, modern-day Turkey. And if you see them on a map, it's north, south, east, and west. It's sort of, you trace the circle. The intent is that this is not just a message for these seven churches. It's a message for all churches in all places for all time. It's a message to Christ the King Presbyterian Church now. So he hears this voice. 
and he turns and he looks in the direction from where the voice came, and he sees seven lampstands, which we later learn represent these seven churches. But most remarkably, he sees in their midst, and I'll just read it. One like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Whoa. What is this? Who is this? Well, first, something familiar. Secondly, something frightening. And third, it's our only hope. First, it's familiar. Now, this is where some of you who maybe go with fear and trepidation into the book of Revelation, maybe you've checked out. (laughs) This is where it starts to get weird. Revelation, to you, might feel like the strange appendix to an otherwise manageable book, right? The rest of the Bible, yeah, I kind of get it, but Revelation, don't get it. Well, this notion ignores the fact that Revelation is primarily made up of allusions to references to the Old Testament, the rest of the Bible. Uh, Scholar G.K. Beale writes that Revelation has more allusions to the Old Testament than all the other New Testament books put together. So in order to understand Revelation, we need to understand the rest of the Bible. Let's, Let's see that together. This vision of John is nearly identical to the visions of the prophet Daniel centuries later. Daniel 7, starting in verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Daniel 10, verses 5 through 6. I lifted up my eyes and behold, and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen, with a belt of fine gold around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Sound familiar? We've gone back. Those who were reading this here, this message, would have sounded familiar. This was the Son of Man. The, the anointed one, the promised one, the Messiah, that anyone familiar with this prophecy, which was just a, a well-known, this is not an obscure prophecy, but it's well-known prophecy, would have known that this vision was of the Messiah, of the Christ. He was the one who would take away our sin, freeing us by his own uh, blood. He is the one who would reign forever and ever. He would have the eternal kingdom that was promised to David. Another thing, too, that would have been familiar to them, the Son of Man is situated among the lampstands. The Jewish temple, a priest with a robe and a sash, um, would have stood among not seven, but ten lampstands, five on either side. 
the Son of Man is depicted as a priest. One who intercedes between God and man. Okay, well, that might have been familiar to some, but it might not have been familiar to you. Maybe the frightening aspect of it, the thing that caused John to fall on his face though he was dead, maybe that's where you're at. Maybe this is a bit frightening. His eyes are like a fire blazing. Fire represents God's holiness. The Son of Man has come to judge the churches. He gives this message, and some of these are really hard words to these churches, like fire. The hair on his head is white as wool. You know, we see, uh, we see paintings of, of God uh, with white hair. Well, that, that actually comes from Daniel 7 again. But it's interesting that the Ancient of Days, who is God the Father, was described as having this white hair. Now the Son of Man, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is described as having this white hair. It's a divine descriptor. His feet are like burnished bronze. This pure moral foundation on which he judges. These are not feet of clay or stone that will crumble, that will crack. It's burnished bronze. There's this, when you put it all together, the stars, the fire, the the face like sun, there's this intensity and light. This sort of, you, you can't even imagine how bright it must have been. How did he even see it? There's this intensity of sound. It says it's like the, his voice was like the roar of many waters. Maybe you've been to a waterfall and, and maybe you've been to one where you can stand under it. Have you ever done that? Um, you can stand maybe, you know, the cave right behind the waterfall. You can't even hear yourself shout scream, let alone other people around. Think of that, the voice of the Son of Man being that loud, like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, more light. Perhaps most strange and frightening is this two-edged sword protruding from his mouth, while again his face shone like the full strength of the sun. We need not miss the wonder, the power. We need to sit in awe of the otherworldliness of this vision. Any of us like John would have fallen down as though dead, just completely collapsed on our faces before this holiness. But the object of this vision, it turns out, it's our only hope. Notice what happens after this whole description of who this is. What are the next words out of his mouth? Well, first, there's touch. He laid his right hand on me, and he spoke, fear not, fear not. See, what has been described here, it's, it's power. It's one who has come and who has the right and is good enough to judge the entire world. What has been described here is nothing other than supernatural, divine strength and holiness. And so trembling and fainting and expecting, 
that judgment to come down on you is the only rational response, and yet he stoops down. He places his right hand on John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and says, fear not, it's me. I am the one who died, who was crucified not that many years ago, and look, I'm alive, and continue to live, and will live forever. I have been given power over death and Hades. I have a message that you need to tell everyone. This is Jesus, his best friend. He says, fear not, it's me, remember He says, I am the first and the last in the living run. I just want to sit in that line, which is kind of repeated throughout even this first chapter, but also the whole book of Revelation. I am the first and the last in the living one. I am both past, future, and present. This is really important to grasp. You see, everything else we might place our hope in, it's either past and dead, or it is future and always around the next turn. And either way, it's never presently with us. It's almost absurd to think of a present hope. It goes against the definition of hope. You see, no earthly hope can claim that kind of security and certainty and guarantee. So many of our hopes, we're trying to recover a past, the golden age. We want to bring that back. Or we're trying to build a future that's better. Here Jesus is saying, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. The alpha and the omega, the one who is. Nothing else, no other hope on this earth can say that I was I will be at the end, and I'm here now. Now, this is something to hope in. This is something remarkable. This is the kind of revelation we need. Jesus is the hope of the past fulfilled. He is the hope of future beyond this life and beyond even death. He is the only one we can count on at the end of it all. And he's alive now, speaking these words not just to John, but to you sitting here now. Fear not. I am the first and the last, the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And nothing can keep me from loving you, protecting you and caring for you, both now and forever. Not your sin, not death, not Satan, or anything else in the whole universe can stop me from bringing you into my kingdom. The last word is mine. This is what Jesus wants you to know, wants you to be encouraged by right now. He has died and he is alive forevermore. Our last point, come and see. John not only received this vision uh, just a few years before, he had walked and talked and eaten meals with Jesus and heard him speak and touched him. Perhaps 
This morning, you're struggling to see it. If only I could have been John. If only I could have been there. Then I'd be able to get through this drought. Maybe you've been a Christian your whole life and you're wondering, am I even a Christian? Do I even believe this stuff? Or maybe you've never seen it before. You don't really get it now. If God would give me a vision, then I'd believe. Then I'd be able to persevere. I'm a, a struggling runner. Uh, Boston is a city of incredible runners. I'm a, a, one of the bad ones. Uh, but I still do it because, well, I work with college students. I eat what they eat. And it's a great way to clear your head. It really is. And the runner's high doesn't come often for me. You runners come, come tell me how to get that runner's high where like, you feel like you could go forever. Uh, there, there are good days, but most of the time I feel like I want to stop. Uh, I just want to you know, take a walk um, instead of a run. Hebrews describes the life of faith, the journey that we are on as Christians as a race. And imagine a race when, when you've never run the road, you've never run the trail, and maybe you're the only one on it. Maybe you've fallen behind, or maybe you're at the beginning, or at the very front of the pack. Um, but you have no idea where the finish line is. The sun is setting, the, the light is going dim. If only you could see where this ends. If you only could see where this is going. If maybe you could see and hear the, the shouts and the cheers of a finish line ahead of you, then you would be able to keep going. Hebrews 11 describes faith as the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. We would agree. Faith and hope do not entail sight in this literal sense. But then it goes on to describe this whole list of characters, of, of people in the Bible, in the story of redemption, where faith enables them to see. They did something because they saw Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Jacob, Sarah, Isaac, Esau, Joseph, Moses, and Rahab, who all did not see, and yet they did see by the eyes of faith. And then chapter 12 begins, Therefore, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, this great crowd, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The message of Revelation is one to a suffering church, a church that desperately needs endurance, that is in tribulation and under persecution. And the message is that Jesus is already on the other side of the finish line. And there is a host of, of witnesses, not just the ones listed in Hebrews 11, but all brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers in the faith who have died and gone to be with God, they are our crowd cheering us on. And Jesus is not just out there, but he is right here. In the, the vision, Jesus is among the lampstands. He's dwelling with his churches, with his people. By the Holy Spirit, Jesus is here now, present, 
in the preaching of the word. I'm not just talking about the supper. In the preaching of the word, Jesus is present. He is giving us power for this race to endure, to continue. We will see him, yes, with our eyes, but we can see him now by faith with us. The Holy Spirit has opened our eyes to see Jesus. He's given us hope. What else can we do? Well, just like the the Samaritan woman of the well, come and see. Come and see Jesus. And that is not just saying, hey, come and see. You'll see a vision if you come to Christ the King on Sunday morning, 10.30 a.m. No, come and see. Look at these words that tell. And look how the Holy Spirit is opening your eyes to behold him, Jesus. This is what we've seen. Come and you see as well. Though he died, he is our living hope. He is with us. May he give us hope. May he be our only hope. And maybe. May he help us endure to the end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask that these words, not any of mine, but yours, would sink deep within us, that we would know and behold the mystery of Jesus, the risen Lord, the King, the one who was and who is and will be forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.